Welcome along to the Go Play Soccer podcast with host Manchester United Academy coach Tom Statham. At Go Play, our aim is to bring people together from all across the world to discuss the beautiful game. Tom Statham here, and today I'm pleased to introduce from Goldust, David and Keith Mayer, a father and son partnership who are outstanding coaches and coach mentors. So David in Utah in the USA and Keith in the northwest of England here with me. Welcome to the Go Play Soccer podcast. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Good to be here. So let's start with Dad. Keith, um, if you could please outline your, your playing and, and coaching journey so far. Yeah, playing-wise, Tom, I was a, an apprentice professional at Bolton Wanderers. I'd... Uh, Spent some good times there with when they had the old uh, Burnham Park Stadium. And uh, as football does, you find a level. I then found myself playing at Wigan Athletic as a young pro there. And my excuse in not playing in the first team was uh, I got injured. Uh, possibly I just wasn't good enough. After that, I then went over to the States and did a went to college. I went to a two-year college in New Jersey, Trenton, New Jersey which uh, we then went on to become national champions in 1982, which was a a wonderful experience. So, yeah, that's my quick snapshot of playing career. But uh, after that, then we obviously go in. I'm sure we'll be going into the stories around where we go from there. But uh, that's where I started. And David? Almost identical, to be honest, Tom. Uh, I... I grew up in the academy system in England, was at Blackburn for, for quite a, a, a long while. Um, I did get the 14 years old, the you're not tall enough job. So, so I did receive that one. Uh, technically, I was, I was all right. I was tidy. I, I was tiny. Um, so I got that. I actually took a year out. Didn't really want to play much because of that. It, it stung as an under 16. It was right at the start of, of the under 16s. I got asked to go into Wigan. Uh, did so, did well, and got offered a, a scholarship at Wigan, which I I took. Along with, with doing that two-year scholarship, I went to college off my own back, got A-levels, education, uh, which which speaking to the family was important. That was part of the deal of me, me being able to take that was that I, I got the education in as well. Um, during that two year period, I had a, more injuries than you can, you could count for. I couldn't, couldn't live with full-time football. I'd play a game and I'd miss four weeks. I got told right at the end, if you can stay fit, you'll get a pro. And sure enough, I couldn't stay fit. I knew what was coming. The writing was on the wall. Uh, from there, I actually went over to Spain to the Glen Hoddle Academy, which was a tremendous experience. That some of the players that were there now were quite a lot of the players, to be honest, are still playing in the Premier League, in the Championship, League One, etc. And it's it's quite remarkable, really, that Glen found or picked up these players that have been discarded from numerous clubs, some of them that have never been picked up, had an eye for, I guess, talent, as you would say, or, or potential, whatever those words mean, 
and then those players go on and play. So we spent, I spent time there. Things happened uh, with between the 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 academy and the club that they were associated with. Everybody moved back to England, and at that point, I had a decision to make. I could have stayed at home and and signed with uh, signed with clubs over here. And I decided to go down the same route as my dad instead. Every other player at the Glenoddle did stay in England. They are pretty much every one of them played. I moved over to the US. I played um, at, at two different schools. Uh, one, uh, the first one was in Ohio. That they were actually the national champions. I'm very fortunate that some of the players that I played with were, were tremendous. One of them is a best friend of mine I actually had a really good conversation with him last night he was captain of the US national team uh, DeAndre Yedlin who was at Newcastle so they were a really strong really strong group um, so lots of uh, learning experiences there year after I moved to uh, North Carolina to Charlotte spent the remainder of my time there uh, in 2015 going into 2016 was one of the top uh, touted as one of the top picks for the MLS draft and got injured leading into the draft, had a concussion. And long story short, I didn't get cleared by the doctors. I missed a long, long time, like 11, 11 months with a with a concussion, came back. And again, I, I just couldn't stay fit. And at 25, I, I ended up having hip surgery and that was it. I retired. I, I'd done. I body couldn't take it. I had, I think, seven or eight surgeries in the space of nine years, and and that was me. So, um, very fortunate during those times that, and even before then, that I spent time around people like my dad and other really good coaches because of my dad that it opened up the next path. Yeah, that's, that's a great story. And, and again, linking in with your dad, um, you know, Keith works at Liverpool, so you would have seen him work. And and what what less lessons really did did you pass on, Keith? What what do you think? You now, with David being around you at that sort of time, his his body's giving way really with his playing career. What sort of messages you giving him and from your experiences at Liverpool to to join the coaching fraternity? I guess, Tommy. It- the lessons, they're organic in nature. There's never been any forcing. I've, I've got two wonderful kids, David, of course, I speak to every day and I've done for the last decade. Uh, so every day we communicate and it's, so it's all guys, it's just happened. It's not been, it's not been featured in a, in a, in a plan. It, David just came along, watched sessions to watch them and been around me for quite a while because went prior to going to, for, uh, to Liverpool, I'd coached at Nottingham Forest for a period for eight and a half years. So he used to tag along and come along with me. And little did I know what we what was taking place. So I think I think in essence, what was what he was doing is modelling. He, he would model and copy and mimic, and that's what we do. But as long as the example is of a high standard and whatever that means, of course, but. He just followed and it, it just happened. He's he's very, very capable coach that asks questions. And for sure, and he's mentioned that there are other people in his life that are all are equally or provide value added for him. But just watching how I coach her, how I deliver, how I present, 
is just one aspect, one element of his learning journey. And there are many others that I'm sure David can explain and articulate in, in a way where he's, he's actually other people that have featured in his life. He's, he's gathered that and that's really all that's taken place. So albeit he comes and watches, he'll then go out and experiment. I think that's the big thing, isn't it? You go out and experiment, it works, it doesn't work. It might not work in context with the players you're working with, etc. And age groups vary and the quality and the standard of the player may be different at times. So you've just got to play around with that. So I think it's really been a modelling, following, copy, mimic, experiment, feedback, and then if he's got any questions that he will ask, he'll, he'll ask them. There's no doubt about that, and he's very capable of, of doing that as well. So w- would you agree with that, David, firstly? And secondly, I'm assuming that you do. Um, what sort of qualities were you picking up from your dad? What When you were watching him, when you were intera- seeing him interact with players and other coaches, what, what sort of things, what qualities were, were impressing you and, and were, were really striking you as something that you'd like to follow? Yeah, great question. Uh, starting off, Tom, so when my dad was at Forest, I was, I was young. And it was a two-hour drive from where we lived. So I would just go just because I wanted to go. It wasn't, I wasn't going <clears throat> with the intention of wanting to learn about coaching at those young ages. I was just going because I wanted to spend time with my dad. So whenever I wasn't playing at at Blackburn, if we didn't have training or we didn't have games, whatever it may be, I would go. But I would just sit there and watch. And I, and I think only reflecting back on my behaviour and my mannerisms after that was I realising that I was learning from those experiences. <clears throat> so whether it be certain things, and, and this is for me the qualities of a good coach, as well, things that that I believe are important is my, if if they started at because it was a long drive, they'd start at eleven o'clock. We would be there at ten o'clock, and everything was set up before the kids arrived. But it was it was immaculate. <clears throat> my dad's appearance was immaculate. He had his black boots, and I would watch him the day before polishing his boots. Well, I had to then do the same when I was playing. I'm polishing my boots, black boots. The night before games, the day before, I'd be polishing them. That's something that I think that's something that got passed down. And I don't even know if that was intentional. I have no idea if it was intentional. It was just something that I saw that I picked up and thought, yeah, I like that. And then obviously when the players come in and I see how he speaks and see how he he behaves with people, over time, like my dad said, you just you model and you mirror what you think is good practice. And I'll be totally honest, when I started, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And I think that's like most people. The only difference is I was just modeling and mirroring from somebody that was really good at what they did. So I was doing the same thing, didn't know what I was doing, but and it may have looked like I did. And as time goes on, I then started understanding why certain things were being done and the importance of those things. And then I can mold it and shape it into what I felt was important. But those, the high standards that that were shown from a really early age, that I, I just saw them and I, we would, I would ask questions. And 
they was just invaluable time. I, I don't, there'll not be many people, I don't believe, that were as fortunate as I was to spend so much time in the car, in, in and around practice, and then also around other people. So the people that were at Forest at the time, I'd be in and around them. I was 10 years old, 12 years old, 13 years old, and just going and asking questions and just watching, watching all these different people. And that's continued whenever I'm at home. It's the same thing. I'll, I'd go to the academy now or I'll, if, if there's a friend of my dad's where he's going with him, I'll go in to, to meet with him. I'll probably go and I'll probably sit there and ask questions because I still have, like everybody, I have so much to learn and I want to make sure I can be as good as I can be. And there are so many good people that I can take the information and lessons from. Yeah. And that, when, when I was listening to both of you there, the, the two things that were coming to my mind was high standards. And you said it a moment ago, I think there that's a, a quality of, of all top people, not just coaches, but successful people is that they set high standards for themselves and for everyone else. And, and that was coming across. And then the other thing was about preparation. And, and one of the things that I say regularly on, on this podcast and to young coaches as well, is that for me, the, the majority of the coaching is done before the session. So it's in the thinking and the planning and the, the visualization and the preparation. So that actually when the, when the players arrive, whether they're sort of nine and 10 year old kids with my case at, at Manchester United or your dad, slightly older sort of 11, 12 year old kids at Liverpool, when they, when they arrive, most of the coaching in effect has been done because then you're putting them into activities, you're putting them into situations that you plan so well that just flow and the, and the kids learn from that. Would you agree with that, Keith? Sure. Yeah, uh, without doubt. I think the, I'm particularly more interested in not, not the, the content's important for sure. So when you allude to preparation, all the work is the vast majority, 80% of the work is done prior. So my, my office is actually walking to the field with the players. It's my office. That office could be 200 yards long having a chat, gathering and corralling information that the lads actually have little idea about what's taking place other than there's an adult having a conversation in. It's, it's contextual. So you're having a war and peace with a young lad. It's they're hardly you're hardly going to have any lengthy conversations other than our school. But then I was it's the other bits, Tom, where you you're finding out about mum and dad or younger brother or my mum's just had a little baby and uh, my cousin's having a party today. That, that, those type of conversations, which they might not seem important to the youngster, but in actual fact. It's just a matter of gathering some history, gathering some content which could be invaluable at a later stage. So you don't necessarily need to regurgitate it in the moment. And I particularly work around it. I'm not the content, and if, uh, which you mentioned about session planning and all of that, that that's content. I'm, I'm more interested in the process of getting that content out. I'm not session plans and session plans. So coaching a session plan or coaching off a piece of paper is just robotic. And for sure, there's a place for it when you first start going. But in actual fact, you've got to coach what's happening in the moment and work in that moment to delve and dig deeper to bring out 
some magic from within that individual and it just might be a thumbs up uh, but it doesn't say that on the session plan the session plans we start at x time and we've got to finish at and i know that works you've got to you can't continue to to to, to keep keep turning the clock so you've got to work to the clock but equally the session plan is what it is and uh, so content or process i'm interested in the process and you've alluded to and it's massively important to to, to consider that rather than be robotic and start to to go off what it says <laughs> says on a piece of paper or follow yeah. something that is you know we can get off face twitter or youtube or there's some great practices but some of them are just not not relevant to the group are they absolutely and that and that really brings us to to gold dust now i think because the the background the two of you you know you've obviously worked close together you're talking all the time so it it seems very natural listening to the both of you that you get to the point where you want to write a book you want to give you online courses so so tell us a little bit now about how this developed into this concept of gold dust. Right. So I started to write a book about 16, 16, 15, 16 years ago, and I couldn't get past the first chapter. I'm trying to justify to myself why I do I have the skill sets? Did it actually have the content? I read it, by the way. <laughs> was it any good? Was the chapter good? Uh, yeah, it was good, but that's all there was. It, was, it wasn't the full chapter. <laughs> Yeah. It, it, it was just about clarifying to myself. It didn't go into any detail about coaching at all, actually. <laughs> so, so on. Uh, I'll never forget it, Tom. Well, David and I we've been on a course down in London, the business course, and we're heading back. David's heading back to the states. It's the 18th of May, uh, 2019. I'm on a train heading northbound back to Wigan, Wigan Wargate. And David's he's at the airport, reading back to the airport. And it, it was a Saturday, so said a eureka moment. I decided is I'm not going to be popping me clogs and still have the book still in the head. So I rang him up. I said, I'm writing a book. And it it was it it didn't take I hadn't finished the sentence and he said, I'm gonna help you. I'll I'll help. And I thought, oh, right, we're in. Uh, and so that's when it you know, that fizzle, that little spark, everything needs a spark. So every movement, every strategy that people utilise, it starts with something. Did it start 16 years ago or did it start in that moment on my way back to Wigan? So where that had festered from was just a matter of belief. You know, people hold back because they have limited beliefs around their ability to to kick on or to achieve certain things. It's amazing what you can do when you activate a, a thought, it then becomes a reality. And when you change the way you think, what you think about changes, when you change the actual thought process, you then start to feel differently. And I felt extremely ignited by that, the thought of having my son on this journey. We didn't know what it was going to look like. And the book came out, it, we self-published it. We, you know, we had to format what we're going to do. What's how's it going to? How's it going to? What's it going to look like? But really, it was what the content was. And I'm, I'm massive around. You know, the X's and O's, which is the technical bit, which is look, we need it. But I'm, I'm more of a psychosocial person. I think if you don't get it right, you can forget about the X's and O's. If you can't connect with something or someone or a group, forget about how good you are in the technical aspects. Because for sure, what what the what the lads do, they'll suss you out very quickly. 
So if you don't connect with them at a level where you can communicate, what they'll do, they'll unconsciously bomb you off. The, the less unconsciously they'll get rid of you uh, or consciously get rid because they'll critic, they'll actually critically analyze you because there's no connection. However, on the flip of that, when we get, when we have built this connection with a rapport, call it whatever you like, uh, with, with a group or an individual, if you build a connection with them and they feel comfortable in that and they feel at ease, there's more of a relaxation, more learning takes place or deeper learning. And what, you're, what they're likely to do is less critically analyse you as an individual. It doesn't mean they'll agree with the content. It just means they'll less critically analyse what's taking place. So the book is about Goldust, how to become a more effective coach, came out in November of the same year, 2019. So from, 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 Mark, from May, it was quite an aggressive you know, like build. And uh, the one thing for people that know us or the people that don't know us, we get the job done. And, and you don't get it done by, like you said, the X's and O's. So if, if people are thinking of, of getting a coaching book for soccer and they want 101 different drills and they want lots of um, pra- you know things written down and sketches of, of training sessions, this definitely isn't a book for you. But if you want to improve the way that you connect with your players that you build relationships with players, that um, you you learn to to care and become attached and and inspire and motivate your players. Then this is definitely definitely the book for you, David. What about your part in this in this book? Oh, um, it was the best the best learning experience I've ever had. So we have my dad and I have clear values that we stand for. We have clear beliefs around what we believe is important in in coaching and working with people and just the the building of the book itself like my dad said may we had this this idea just came to life and it was uh, july the 4th actually we had the first interview with one of the people that feature in the book which was darren moore uh, and ryan may and from from there on out, it was very, very aggressive. It was different, but we were meeting with people that we knew that we felt were able to add value to what it was we already wanted to to talk about. And honestly, Tom, I, I think getting their opinions and what they were saying was just further validating what we thought was the right way of going about things anyway. So we were interviewing them, we were speaking to them, and then we were adding stuff into the book. And the book itself took four months to write and release from start to finish. But it wasn't it wasn't 30 minutes here and an hour there. It was four and five hours in, in Starbucks office. I had a table that was my table. When I went in, it was – no one would sit there. I don't know if because nobody liked the table or they knew that I was coming in, but – I had my table and I just wanted to be out the way and I would crack on with it. And and it was just a case of compiling the information and then putting down our thoughts on paper. And my dad, my dad, he spoke, I did all the writing. I did every, every element of the writing. And then he was the soundboard where I would go to him and 
what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What needs changing here? And we would adjust and adapt it just really like you would in a session where we thought this needs to probably just altered in some way or other. And November, the book got released and it, it was it was crazy, to be honest, because we never wrote the book with the intention of being a number one bestseller. So within two days of it being out and it being a number one bestseller, it was it was all a bit crazy to, to think about. And from there on out, the book was written to help people. We wanted to help in an area that we believe in and we, th- we believe is important. And it has done and it continues to do. And that's what means a lot to us because we have people reach out. Someone reached out this morning about an, uh, a quote in the book that has impacted them. And that's what I enjoy about it. So when someone comes back and says, you know, that really helped us. I read this chapter. Or I, I took something from that and it helped me in the way that I approach things. And it wasn't, it's not just in football. It, we've had people in business that have said the same thing. And that's that's quite meaningful. Um, so there is, there is actually, there's another book that's going to be out when this podcast gets released, it'll probably be out because it's going to be out in the next couple of days. Um, and it's, it's off the back of the Lone Wolf chapter. And it's, it's very, very different in regards to, it's nothing to do with coaching, but the story itself has everything to do with people. Um, so that's an exciting one too. We're looking forward to that. That'll be, that'll be out very, very shortly, or it may be out. I don't know. The other thing, Tom, which I may add, if I may add here, is the, the book is not primarily a soccer book. It's it's a sports book, and we've been contacted. I was contacted by uh, National Hockey Wales, and they've taken it on board as a, as a coaching part of the curriculum. So they've built the book or building a programme, a coaching programme around the book. And, and that was such a... It's it's really we've had national team managers. They've had the book. I've been in contact with people who've read it, and they don't publicly let it be known. Uh, but they've been in contact to let it, you know, to articulate the thoughts around it. So it's it was number one over in over a year for nine months. Uh, it was number two, reached the Eddie Heights of two in the United States, uh, and then it was number three in reached the Eddie Heights of three over in Australia. So as David had already mentioned, we're excited about this next venture, this next book that we've got, which, and there'll be other books as well, which will all be based upon certain chapters from within the book, the first book. Yeah, and I'm, I don't think it's a surprise that other sports are, are taking it up as well, because again, one of the, well, if I could sum up what, what I've learned in my time at Manchester United, it's the football's the easy bit. And it's the other things like how you treat people. I would say it's how you treat people is the most important thing. The mentors, I mean, David said earlier, he's had a great education and he obviously has been at your side for those times. I had a, an amazing education in my young um, coaching career at Manchester United with some incredible people. But at the end of it, if I was to distill it into a sentence, it would be that is that football is the easy bit and it's how you treat people that is the, the key thing. And so you guys producing this book that says that, and I know you, you've gone on to do a podcast and one of your guests, um, I listened to it, was um, Dan Abrahams, who 
I got to know when I, I presented a couple of years at the convention in America and Dan and I spent a lot of time together. And what was amazing for me sitting down, just chatting with Dan, we had, we had most meals together and he was coming from the theory point of view. And I was coming from the experience point of view, but we both came to exactly the same conclusion of how to treat kids. And, he, and it's, it's trying to flip it. It's not about what I want to coach. It's about what the players learn and how they learn. And it's adapting that. And, and it's the connections that you talk about that are so important. And, uh, I, I totally would would uh, endorse your message and encourage anyone that's even experienced coaches to to pull back a little bit because everyone gets fixated by the session. You know, the bibs there, the cones there, the balls there, and all that sort of stuff. And you have to be organised, like we said earlier. You have to plan, but where you get all the benefits are by the connections that you that make with kids. And your example, Keith, about walking to the pitch is a great one. A lot of people won't even bother to speak to a kid. They're walking along, they go into the game, they're thinking about the game. Whereas that's a great informal opportunity to connect and to have a learning experience because you can learn from the from the lad, from the player, and they can learn from you. And I always say about tying shoelaces because the, the kids that I work with, some of them can't tie their own shoelaces. And a lot of coaches will say that, oh, no, I've got to tie a shoelace again. Whereas I look for that opportunity. If I see a, a shoelace that's undone, I'll go over, oh, I'll do your lace because while you're doing the lace, you can have that chat with them and it shows that you care. I'm prepared to get down on my hands and knees and tie your shoelace. And that gives a message as well. So I, I think it's fantastic. And it, I mentioned it's moved on to the podcast. Um, and, you know, do, do you see your guests being not just in the world of football? You seem to have moved your podcast guests into rugby league, um, climbing mountains, you know, all these sort of things. Yeah, I think with that, Tom, and this is this is for me from a personal standpoint too. Is as we spoke about football is that it's it's tiny in the scheme of things. This is about it's about people, and regardless of what walk of life you are in, you can always learn from somebody outside of it. So, with when it comes to football, there are great people and people that that you can learn a, a great deal from. But there are also people in other walks of life that may be able to give you another snapshot or another idea, another thought that you may be able to take into what it is you do. So we've got and have had a lot of people within the game. But then if if we look at the last episode that we brought out with Greg Levine, and this is for me as a coach, listening to some of the things that he said that I went, oh, Never thought about it that way. Interesting. And then I would go and implement it. And and there was one with the 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 one or one maybe prior or two prior with Liam Scully at, at Lincoln, the, the CEO at Lincoln. I'm not a CEO, but there was something that he said that that hit hit home with me about urgency and having what they what he called high performance language. So having all these people on, we felt was beneficial because there are lessons from every single person. Even if there's just one snippet in an episode where somebody goes, I didn't think about it that way. Or I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to take it. and I'm going to put my own stamp on it, my authentic way of, of doing things and, and use that nugget of information. And to be honest, from a very selfish standpoint, 
even if nobody listened to the podcast, I'd still do them because it gives me and I know my dad an opportunity to speak to people that are exceptional at what they do. And I, I, I absolutely love it. Like sitting down and, and talking to these people before we press record and then being able to just ask them questions. And obviously we have some sort of structure, but I'm going, right, I'm going to fire that because I want to know that answer. And then afterwards having, having the opportunity to speak to them as well is just priceless. I, we were talking about it yesterday or two days ago. If we had to pay for these people, the house would be up for sale because there's so much value in what we've gathered and the people the, the, the people that we've had on and the information they've shared, you, we wouldn't be able to afford it. And it's just give us an opportunity to speak to them. And, and luckily, um, people are, are tuning in and they're listening and they're finding the same value that we're finding from it as well. And it's, it's amazing. I, I truly, truly, I just love doing them. Yeah, I, I enjoyed listening to him as well, I've got to say. And the one that really got to me, like Nick Hollis, um, you know, that I'm not into climbing and, you know, so far away. For me, I'm a, if it's got a ball in it, I'm interested. So cricket, golf, tennis, football, all that. If it's anything without a ball, motor racing, not interested. Certainly climbing, cold, and I, I'd be useless. But it was just fascinating. And, I mean, I'd, I'd just like to ask you, maybe, maybe Keith, just expand on what you learned from from Nick in that episode yeah there's a couple of Nicks I know you refer to Nick Hollis there's also another Nick Nick Butter who's yeah the marathon man I think he's a little deranged to be honest <laughs> and uh, well I'll explain what he's doing so Nick Hollis it, it's not the if I can just draw back a little bit Tom and you asked the question earlier in regards to it was football. It would, the, our intention has always been to move into, into the business arena as well. Primarily, it's only a kit. So I worked, I work, I've worked in the in the business arena and I work, I just changed the kit, but I'm a coach or I'm a mentor or whatever you want to call them. But I certainly so it's the correlation, the connection between one and another, and they're both they they, they tie in, they, they just they just dovetail quite nicely. Nick Hollis, the learning process from that is, you know, that the endeavour and the resilience, because Nick, for those that didn't listen to it, Nick went snow blind as he were, uh, as he were on the ascent to Mount Everest. And so he got all his plans, all his, he's got a, he got a little doll and he was going to take a photograph with it so his daughter and his family could see that. And he couldn't see the doll. You know, scrambling around for his doll. He had just one Sherpa with him. And then on the way, on the uh, on the ascent, he, he, he stumbled across a dead body, a fresh dead body, where of which you either, you can't get any association to it. You just crack on and you're there for the outcome. The outcome is to get from A to B. And that's to get to the top and then get your backside off as quick as you possibly can. Because the weather can change so dramatically. So he was up and then off. And then on his way down, he's, he's on a certain part of Mount Everest. He's on the descent now and he's, he couldn't see clearly. He slipped and he thought, my life's gone. This is it. And he thought, no, I'm not going. I ain't going anywhere. And that 
the power of a human soul and the power of the belief that if you believe something can you can achieve, the, you'll find ways. But it's got to be your body got to it's got to be one hundred percent from every cell, every sinew, every muscle, every bone, and every cell of your brain. You've got to believe it can be capable like you can. And he he, he showed that on his descent, he's clambering down the ropes, and he's he, he just saw a silhouette or something. He's bumped into another dead body. So. Uh, when he gets back down, he decides he's going to do another task and his, or another challenge, and his challenge is he's, he's clambered up seven mountains, uh, above 8,000 uh, metres, and then he's going to do north and south pole, 56-day trek, north and south pole, and just to round it off and for ease and because I can, and he, there's a boat, so he's going to row across the Atlantic. And you think, well, so Nick will be breaking a world record. What did I learn from that? Which is really what your question was at the beginning. The story, as I share with you, is not, it's not about climbing mountains or we're going to Nick Butter, who ran 100 marathons in 100 days. He's currently running 200 marathons in 100 days. He's run a marathon in every country in the world. It's neither is it about running a marathon or running or walking or... It's about the ability to just, wherever you are, you can achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve. Success is relative. Getting up and walking, getting up and running, or doing something that really takes you somewhere else. And all it takes is just an action. And the question that we posed to Nick Hollis was, for those that are holding back from, from starting a target to start some a, a a project. What is it? What advice would you give? And all he said was, well, he elaborated a little bit more, but is commit. Just commit. So you're going to start. If you're going to, if you, for example, you want to run a marathon, just commit. Right. Just I'm starting. I'm going to do a marathon, and then share that. Then you've got you've got a commitment to other people. So the lessons that were taken from it are many, but the real one is for me in terms of personal endeavour, uh, the resilience, the ability to adapt and adjust to situations, and having the having the fortitude to work through ugly situations, because it's not always going to be life, you know, walking around with a flower in your mouth. It isn't life. Isn't like that. We've got to go through the road bumps and then work from that, reflect on what we could have done what we didn't do, and then between that, what's the space, working in the gap, or what I've got to do to improve? That's what we get. For, that's what I personally get from the podcast. But the one from Nick, Nick Collis, who we still stay in contact with, is uh, they're just they're inspirational. And the key to it, Tom, is they don't even know. They don't even know. You don't know how extraordinary that attitude is. and. Uh, and I, I think when I'm listening to you, Keith, it, a couple of things spring to mind. Firstly, is you you were clever enough to call your podcast Gold Dust, which means that you can have people from the world of football. I mean, it's been going about a year now, and you mostly at the beginning were, were football people. And now, because it's called Gold Dust, you can have climbers and rugby league people. This one is called the Go Play Soccer Podcast. So we have to talk about soccer all the time. We're limiting ourselves there. So what I'm going to do is... Everything that you've said there, I'm going to go back to David because I think that links in to the teenage David 
when he was small. And you and I see that a lot, Keith, in academy football in England, where physicality is overvalued for someone that's got a big, strong physique and is undervalued. And yet a lot of these these qualities that you're talking about that successful people have with, especially with Nick Hollis there, they're, they're inside you, they're personal qualities, they're, they're character qualities. And so does that affect the way you, David, would look at a young, a young teenage David Mayer? Mm-hmm. Um, do you think you should have been judged about what was inside you, your resilience, your attitude, your work ethic, your determination? These, these were there obviously inside you but they weren't valued as much as the fact that you weren't quite tall enough. Definitely. And I think it goes back to what we consider important is getting to know more about the person first. And and in that moment, that wasn't the case. We were, we were two days into a new season. So we two days in pre the season gets the season finished prior to you get it two years or two year contract. So you would say, which obviously can end at any time and two days into preseason, it was, you're not going to be tall. I don't think you're tall enough. So you're not going to play. And that's two days in. And I look at that and go, you don't even know me. You don't know anything about me. And I've, I've even now working with, with players. And I do think times have changed. I think in England, times have changed. I will say that. I think being in, in and around and seeing what goes on, you'll have players of all sizes and shapes and different body types. And it is about the development where some clubs, are, and it's it's okay because different clubs have different outcomes at the end of the day. If you're a a championship club where the manager wants to play very direct football and you want to be route one and that gets fed down and you know that in that system you need big bodies and big physical players, the chances are that that's what they might be looking for in the academy. Whereas at other clubs, and with yourself, for example, Tom, Manchester United, they're going to want a profile of player. And you'll have it now. You'll have players that'll be four foot tall playing against players that are five foot five and all different kinds of things that work. And I see it over here where winning is a big thing in America. It's massive and it's a challenge at times because at, at any age, I'll, I'll give you a quick story. Um, this You'll enjoy this one, actually. I had a comment. I had a comment on Monday where a parent said, I think we're going to look to take our child to a different club because in the tournament we played in in February, we didn't win any games. <laughs> the interesting bit about it was they were under sevens. <laughs> and the better bit about it was there was no scoreline. It was a right. 4v4 tournament with no scores. Nobody kept score, <laughs> clearly besides this one parent. Now, over here... Over here, the parents do because I, and I think at times it's a lack of education and a lack of understanding is they want to win and there's nothing wrong with winning. There's nothing wrong with wanting to win. But when it comes at the expense of the development of the players, it then can get in the way. So 
I in this past season that I had with with a group that, of players that I have, I had an under 15s group where at that age, man, the, the size difference in some of the kids is insane. Some of them are still 11 and 12 year old bodies. And there were kids that had more facial hair than I did that they'd be playing against. And working, helping them work through that was important because I'd see times where technically they do the right thing or physically they'd try and get the body across and the shoulder and protect the ball. They just weren't able to do it because physically they were miles off. The only issue that I face is in the ideal world, I would move them down. Over here, I'd move them down. I'd say, look, look we'll, we'll let you do a little bit of that and then we'll bring you up and we'll test you and we'll see where you're at. You can't do it here. So I... It is something that has stuck with me. It, it at first, as a as a kid, when that when I got told that as a fourteen year old, I got told that it it stunk, and I thought, why? I don't really want to play. Like I'm, I'm, I'll go and play at school. I'll go play with the school boys. But over time, I think when you like when you go to the you go to the gym and you you lift the muscle or you you're lifting weights, you're breaking down muscle to make it stronger. And that now, and all the other things that I went through with injuries, and if I were to give you a, we wouldn't have enough time for me to explain the things that I've been through personally and professionally. Um, a lot of it while playing were things break down. Muscle, you, you, you work out, you break down muscle, you make it stronger. And that is also a mental thing. Were the resilience for me now Having experienced that and everything else, it's built the muscle to the point where I'm going, I know that if something gets thrown at me, I'll deal with it. And I know that I have coping mechanisms to do so. And I want to help the people that I work with, the kids that I work with, to, to build those plethora of experiences because it's not all always going to be positive. There'll be things that aren't going to, go their way they're not going to like um and building those those muscles and, and helping them through it is important and so it sounds like your experience as a teenager there is really informing the way you work with young kids in in utah you work for the club seven elite in in utah and that's that's informing how you work with them and and you are working within this pay-to-play model as well is that you know, Keith and I are lucky because the, the kids that come to us come to us out of ability. You know, we Liverpool select the players that, that they think they, they want to work with. Same at Manchester United. Obviously, there's a little bit of rivalry between, sometimes in the northwest there. Um, but but we, we are working with high quality players that don't pay a penny. Um, and that and we've got that name of Liverpool or Manchester United behind us. So that gives you a lot of status and a lot of uh, credibility as a coach working with the, the kids. But in, in your case, and, and a lot of coaches in the States, the parents are pay, paying a lot of money and they expect things. So they expect, you know, they expect to see a coach coach. And we're all talking about the personal touch. Whereas in my experience, they, they think that if you're shouting at the kids, then that's, that's coaching in a way. And so how do you deal with that and the winning the winning side of it. You've got to win. You've got to be shouting at the kids. You've got to have all these complicated practices. It's challenging. <laughs> the, the differences, you touched on it, the differences, are it's night and day. And 
the, I think the only similarities, Tom, are that you're working with kids still and you're using the same shape ball. <laughs> right, Outside okay. of that, it's very, very different. You, the parents, for me, are probably the biggest influence because, like you said, they're paying. We're, parents are paying $2,000 plus, some of them, whereas in the academy system, they're not. So do they have a voice because they're paying? Yes, they do. But that voice stops at a point. Now, in, in the academy system, if you have a parent that thinks they have a voice, the parent won't be there much longer. And unfortunately, there's a time where the kid probably won't be there either if it becomes such a disturbance to the group. Over here, with it being a business, it's harder to do that. But I, I touched on it at the start. I know who I am. I know what I stand for. And I'll be clear on that at the start. So if I have a group that I'm working with specifically, they know where I'm at from day one. And in terms of coaching on the sideline, as, as when it comes to coaching, that's my job. I'm the one that gets paid to coach. You are the one that pays me to coach. So you let me coach. If you think, if you think you are going to get carried away and you're going to start coaching from the sideline, pack your chair up and go sit in the car. And I'll be clear, clear as day. And I think it's interesting when you say it, some of them, the, the jaw, it's the floor because they've never been told that before. It's like, where did that come from? Well, who's, who's this guy that's just come in and said this? But I mean it. I, I'll, I'm, I'm dead straight on it because it's important. Because when they're shouting at the kids and I've no idea what I've said to them, it impacts. Because as we know, that voice is, of the parent is the most familiar voice of all. So when the parent says something, the chances are the kid is going to acknowledge it and react. And it's not always positive. I've seen it where parents shout and they'll be on and wailing and bawling at the kids and it has a negative impact on the kid's performance. So that, that part of it is difficult and it's challenging. And I think that the key in it is getting buy-in from the parents early letting them know your standards, your expectations and the way that you operate. Because if you don't and they start doing it and you haven't told them that you operate in a certain way, that's where, that's where you, can, you can have issues. And from the other side, you talked about the kids, the level of the kids. We get everything from never tied a shoelace and can't run in a straight line to kids that can play. And it's a challenge and, and it's not a slight on any, any on a co coaches within academy systems. It's, that is the, it's perfect. Everything's almost perfect. You have the best players, no question. You have the nicest facilities and, and every, every sort of help and assistance that is needed to get those players to where they need to be. And for, for, for myself or for other coaches over here, it's, very different. You don't have that. Sometimes you could be on a cow patch and the commitment may be different from the kids where you might not know who's going to turn up that session. And you have one kid that can't run and one kid that can play and having to adapt and adjust during sessions or as people arrive or mid-session where it's not working is it's a quality that I've developed most definitely over the, the time that I've been here. But um, it's challenging. The pay-to-play model, I don't like it. 
but it's not going away. And I know that. And from my standpoint, it's about educating people the best way I can or the best way I know in that moment to then enable the kids to get the best out of what they've got. And really that's all it's about. It's about the kids. And you relay that back to the parents. Some of them understand. Some of them are still sitting there screaming and shouting. So, yeah. It's... And Keith, you must be very proud listening to David speak like that. And, and obviously you're involved with him, chat to him every day. You must be very proud of the progress he's making as a coach. Definitely. I think the difference in you know, the comparables, Tom, between academy football and that page, pay, pay, pay and play model is huge. You've alluded to it. Lads at academies don't pay. They, we, we travel, we go abroad, not currently, but you know, everything's very different. Expectations might be similar, however. The one thing that I like from, from the experience Dave is encountering is it's the ability to to be able to manipulate situations that best meet the need of the player equally you've got to meet the need of the club because it's it's a, you're talking about pounds and pennies or dollars but i look at it as how not to treat people so that's the way they're doing it right that's fine we don't look at the problem here let's look at a solution and a solution that gets the fire out quickly so can you put fires out before the fire commences? And I think it's setting rules. And David, and you know, it's all relative. He, he he's been around. He's been around myself and others that really. I said, don't mess about. If you step out of line, you have to know about it. But let him then know about it. They've got to know what the rules are in advance. So if you play a game of football without any rules or any boundaries. That's what the the parents will play with no boundaries, no rules. Even when you have the rules and the boundaries, some of them will not used to that. But then when they face it, and they know if you've let it be known, this is what's going to happen. These were the, these will be the consequences, and you tell them in advance. Then there's no recourse. There's no there's no comeback to it, and you keep aligning it, keep going back to that. And as long as you get the buying at the beginning doesn't mean they're going to get by enduring it. But what you got is at least you've got a punchline. And for for me to hear and see David uh, operate the way he does is, is quite, you know, it's quite, I'm, I'm proud of him anyway. He's, he's my best friend. And to hear that, to hear the stories that he shares are, in actual fact, quite challenging. I just look at that as a great learning for him further down the line. Because he's learning to manage rather than learning to coach. He's doing both where you and I are in a facility where we can coach, whatever the heck that means. We're transporting and helping and elevating and engaging and empowering youngsters to become the best that they can become and we'll help them and we'll influence them to a degree. But David's doing the opposite to that. He's coaching, but he's managing more. Uh, we tend not to manage as much. So his experiences at young, his young tender years, 29 years of age, young man and very capable who carries himself very well. It's a great quality of him being able to carry himself in such a way with the parents. And I know only because I've heard the parents respect that, but it, it's all in context again. And there are, there are certain situations. So it's about managing. And I like 
I like the way he conducts himself because if I didn't, uh, he'd be knowing about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, well, you know, it's been a, it's been a fantastic conversation, and there's so much hope for the people listening to to get from that. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to to listening to it myself, and I've taken part in the conversation, listening to it back because there's so much there. Um, you've got this new book. What, what's your new book called, guys? So it's it's called The Lone Wolf. A story about assumptions, authenticity, and action. And that's yeah. out in a couple of days' time. I mean, we're recording this on Thursday, the 13th of May. Yes. So when, when is it out, David? It'll it'll be out within the week. So within okay, the next right. seven days, it'll be it'll be released and on the shelves or on Amazon. So we're oh. we're really we're excited again. It's just it's another project I want to wake up in the morning with something to be excited about. Um, luckily, coach, I love what I do. I love coaching. I, that wakes me up and I love being on the grass. But I I like having different strings to the bow and it's, the podcast is the same. And this next book is it's just another step on the journey of wherever it is we're going. I don't know where that is, but it's going somewhere. Well, I'm sure it, if... People listen to this. If you're like me, a fan of Gold Dust, then really look forward to to the new book. And if if you listen to this, you've not heard the podcast, the Gold Dust podcast, or you've not heard of the online courses or the books, then I, I totally recommend that, that you start getting onto that website. What's your website, David? So it's it's thegolddustcoach.com. Yeah, get on there. There's there's so much good stuff for for young coaches, new coaches, older coaches. And, uh, you know, I just totally thoroughly recommend that to everyone, but Keith, David, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your insight and, uh, you know, really, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And if you have a question or comment for us, or if you'd like to take part in one of our podcasts, please email podcast at goplaysoccer.com.